0: We're going to take a detour from judges this week, as I think this particular service presents us with a unique opportunity. And John kind of touched on this earlier. Um, We're going to be in this book called Ephesians, Ephesians, which is a fun word to say, uh, mostly in chapter four. So just a very brief background on this, because I think it's important. Paul wrote this letter to the city of Ephesus, and he wrote it when he was in prison, okay? Uh, he had spent some time uh, with the people there. God was doing some really, really cool things. He was kind of blowing up in this city, and Ephesus was this huge city that was kind of a shining example of a metropolis in that time and space, okay? It was, had all of the most modern amenities, including toilets, which is pretty amazing, right? So, uh, but it kind of served at this, as the center of the universe uh, when it came to worship, but not worship of God, at least not at first. Worship of Greek and Roman gods, hundreds of them, as a matter of fact. So we're talking about all of these big and little various gods, you know, ones you've probably heard of, you know, Zeus and Aphrodite and all those, right? We're talking about this whole pantheon of all of these little gods that people uh, would pledge to or worship or do various things, right? For every major and minor aspect of life in that time for these people. There was probably a god or several gods behind that thing. So you can imagine maybe what that was like. If you were in this time of drought, like you were struggling with your crops and you really needed some rain, uh, you might say, okay, I need to talk to uh, such and such, you know, because uh, he's the God of the sky and I really want it to rain. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to pray to that dude and uh, offer him this tribute of grain and kind of see what happens. Or, or maybe I'll talk to Zeus because, you know, he's sort of in charge sometimes. And so maybe he'll come and, and uh, he'll zap the clouds with this lightning bolt and he'll make everything happen and it'll rain, right? So you'd be in this time and be trying to figure out uh, who to pay tribute to and why. And then you might start thinking, well, maybe we're in this drought because I didn't do what I was supposed to. Maybe I didn't hold up my end of the bargain. Maybe I didn't appease the right God. And so there'd be these moments of confusion. So you would offer the tribute or the worship to one or more of them in hopes of making it rain. But the hard thing about all of this is, is if you look at that history, that mythology... It doesn't take very long to realize that the gods themselves that they all worship didn't get along either. Right? And so it could be that your problem had nothing to do with you. Like your personal misfortune had zero to do with you. It was because all of these gods were at odds with each other. And your little farm that didn't have any rain just happened to be caught in the crossfire. Because Apollo was mad at Neptune or something, right? So... In this culture that Paul was writing to, there was this sense of always trying to appease unseen forces in the middle of conflicting priorities without ever really knowing if your sacrifices were enough. And this is important for us to understand as Paul uses the first three chapters of Ephesians, this letter, to share the story of the gospel, basically, that there's only one who's enough. It's like, listen, all these little bitty gods and everything, listen, there's only one who's enough. And through repenting or turning from our sin and following our Messiah, Jesus, anyone can be adopted into this covenant family of gods. He's trying to lay this out for them, and he does a masterful job. It's pretty cool. He tells them, you know, Jesus' death covers our worst sins and All of our failures and in him alone we find God's grace. Not in all of the stuff that you're busying yourselves with. And so Paul's message in the first half of this letter cuts through all of the noise of all of those lesser gods basically saying, listen, there's only one that you need and with him the way is clear. And this idea was actually revolutionary. Especially in this cultural context. You can imagine I mean, if you continue the story and read about what happened, the church catches fire there. I mean, it goes nuts because of this. But this idea is also revolutionary in our culture too, folks. This idea of there being only one. We live in this world filled with people, millions of people who worship lesser gods every day. Sometimes we find ourselves right there among them. It may not be Zeus or Artemis or Apollo or any of those, but they are still little gods. People that pour their time and their talent and their treasure into worshiping any number of things that capture their attention instead of the one true God. Whether it's pursuing success or money or power. But sometimes and many times the God that we worship is ourselves. Right? It's like. Well, as long as I'm happy and I feel good and I'm comfortable and it's not hurting anybody else, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that philosophy is basically Wiccan. That's the problem. So let's kick in here. Ephesians chapter one. Now, Paul writes kind of confusingly, I think, so I have to read it really slowly. But in union with him. Through the shedding of his blood, he's talking about Jesus, of course, we are set free. Our sins are forgiven, and this accords with the wealth of the grace he has lavished on us. I love that word. In all his wisdom and insight, he has made known to us his secret plan. Which by his own will he designed beforehand in connection with the Messiah, and will put into effect when the time is ripe, his plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. So again, the first three chapters address this, and it's like how all of history to this point came to its pinnacle, came to like its zenith, it's like the very moment like when Jesus enters into the picture and does this for us. All of history. Waited for this moment. And history came to its full purpose in Jesus and in his creation of this, what I'm calling a multi-ethnic community of his followers. Here's what I mean by that. We're talking about, especially in this context, Jews and Gentiles from all nations. Just as God had promised Abraham way back, like in Genesis. All of them together. So now let's move to the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6. Paul challenges us, right, as the community, as those believers he's talking about. He challenges us. He's like, you know what? As the new community of believers, this type of love that's been lavished on you requires a response. Here's what he means by that. One of my favorite things that I used to watch on TV was Extreme Home Makeover. How many of you guys have watched that show? Right. And so if if you're not familiar with the premise, there are people that uh, need help. They need a house. They've got problems. And so uh, the Ty Pennington will come in. Right. And he'll basically assess the situation and then he will help them fix up their house. But they don't just fix it up like a little bit. They go nuts like they do crazy stuff. And it's awesome. And I always love the part at the end where everybody's lined up. And what do they say? Move that bus. Right. And the bus moves out of the way. And they're like, amazed. And inevitably, someone's like, "Ah." Right? They're overwhelmed in this moment by the love that's been shown to them. When someone gives you a gift, and it's not only something you wanted, but it's something that you needed, right? Something that you needed so badly. Maybe even something you didn't even know that you needed. And someone gives you that thing. And maybe that thing is priceless. Like maybe it's something that's been created and it's the only one of its kind in existence. Moms and dads, you know this well. When your children come home with a piece of artwork, right? From church or whatever. You know, like, I didn't know I needed this little painting of whatever this is, but... I did, and it's priceless, and I love it. But think about this more in the, like, somebody comes and they offer to pay off your house. And it's a total surprise, right? You're just like, what? Okay. And it's something that you never have the hope of even repaying. Maybe you never had the hope of, re- of actually paying off your house, right? You're down to your third mortgage or whatever. Like, yeah, we're going to be here pretty much until we die. Some dude comes along, hands you cash, says, I got it. What would your response to that be? Shock? <laughs> yeah. Humility? Probably. Thankfulness? I imagine you probably talk about that a lot. Walk into your job the next day this is what happened, and I quit. Right? Maybe not. But you would talk about that. You would respond to that. You couldn't help but respond to that. Paul's saying this is the same thing. This is exactly the same. The good news of our Messiah and his story should affect how we live every part of our lives. Every part of our life story, personally, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our families, all of it should be impacted by this gift that he's lavished upon us. So Ephesians chapter 4 says, starting with verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner united with the Lord, this is Paul speaking, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle, and patient. Bearing with one another in love and making every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit gives through the binding power of shalom. And that's basically peace, like a peace that is completely satisfying, a peace that meets all of your needs, a peace that puts you in a place where you want for nothing. Kind of like when you're laying on a sunny beach. Unless you're a winter person. Then laying on a glacier somewhere, I guess, right? So this is all about unity through God's peace or shalom, this deep, satisfying peace. And verses 2 and 3 indicate how we're supposed to behave toward one another in order to realize this. We're united in this purpose regardless of our past sins, our backgrounds, our country of origin, our denomination, our political affiliation, or our views on various aspects of theology. Right? The goal is unity. and. If we're people completely surrendered to Jesus as the Messiah, as our Lord of our lives, then folks, we are one. We're one. We're unified. Now, here's where it gets to it after we, of course, address parent of child 291. Verses 4 through 7. Still in chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as when you were called, you were called to one hope. And there is one Lord, one trust, one immersion or baptism. And one God, the Father of all who rules over all, works through all and is in all. Each one of us, however, has been given grace to be measured by the Messiah's bounty. Sounds piratey, doesn't it? The Messiah's bounty. Bounty. It all comes down to one. That's what he's saying. Paul's speaking to these Gentiles in Ephesus, and he wants to reassure them, but also us, that we are fully God's people, united in one. Because of our faith in our Messiah and his work, no barrier exists between us and his people, the Jewish people. And we as Gentiles, the cool part is that we're not second-class citizens in this kingdom. Now, this doesn't negate or downplay their Jewishness. I want to be clear about that, but rather what it does is it highlights what God has done for us now to invite us in as Gentiles, which is really cool. Something he didn't have to do. So Paul continued to talk about these various gifts and roles that God's given each individual as a part of this new community that's been established by our Messiah Jesus. Uh, he's got a bunch in there, and there's more than this, but like ambassadors or representatives, prophets and proclaimers of the good news, shepherds and teachers. But that's not an exhaustive list. Because I see painters, and I see poets, and I see uh, welcomers, and I see, I mean, you go down the list. All of these gifts were given to individuals by God so that we could serve and we could love one another for the purpose of building up the community. In fact, he goes on to talk about that at length, but we don't have time to jump into it. So that's kind of in a nutshell what's happening there. In this case, all of these things work together, like this specific case, to build Desperation Church. Not for our sake, but for the glory of God. So the cool thing is with all those gifts and those talents and those skills and all these things that God's placed in us, he makes each one of us unique. And you might be sitting next to someone, and when you sat down, you thought, yeah, that is a unique individual right there. He might have been sitting next to me. So here's the deal. We have this responsibility, folks, to this community, our brothers and our sisters, They're counting on us to do our part. So if you have like a skill or talent or something that you're holding in or you're withholding, and God's calling you to share that, the reason he's calling you to share is because we need it in order to be complete. God paints this picture later on uh, through Paul of the church. You know, you see all these little people. Imagine all those little people in the shape of a human body. But then you have Jesus as the head of that. That's his description of what the church is supposed to be like. We're supposed to be the prime example of unity in this world. And here's the cool thing about it, though. Because when I was growing up, I never heard this. These things work together to bring unity, not uniformity. Those are two different things. The fact that you're an individual, that you're unique, is God's design. And you don't check that at the door when you come in. Your uniqueness is valued. It's important. But that's different. Uniformity is different than unity. And so as the church, again, we're supposed to be the prime example of unity in this world, in our communities and neighborhoods, in our families and personally. And frankly, folks, it's something that this country needs desperately right now. We're supposed to be showing the world how to live this thing out. And we're, we've not been very good at it, church. Right? Right? We can't even get along with ourselves, much less the rest of the world. Here's why. Only one can accomplish this. Only Jesus working in us. Only our Messiah, who has the power to take a collection of people like us with all of our differences and preserve those things while bringing us together, which is just crazy to think about. Paul goes on to say that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a crucial aspect of this equation that will empower all of us to do this. But before that can happen, we have to be unified in one, right, in Jesus. So I'm almost done. But as I was thinking about this service today, and really three things that kind of don't seem necessarily like they go together. It's like, hey, let's just pick a date on the calendar and cram everything in it, right? You probably thought that when you saw that. And it's like, wow, they're doing a lot. What's up with this? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same, right? But here's what I was struck with this week as I was meditating on the scripture. And God would not let go of this particular lavishing scripture with me for the past like three or four weeks. It's just been like every time I think I'm done with it, he puts it in front of me again. But I was struck with this This overwhelming sense of gratitude. As I thought about these things and I realized that this, all of this together, what we're talking about today, is a snapshot of exactly what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. It's almost like we have the complete life cycle of a believer. Stick with me here. So the first thing, we have missions weekend, and we have a new food pantry. I don't know if you guys saw that when you pulled up, if you came in on this side. There's a little free food pantry that's gone in there through our missions team. And the whole idea of that is reaching out to show his love to others by meeting their practical needs, which is something Jesus was all about. I mean, Jesus prayed for people, he healed people, but he fed people too, right? It's what God's commanded us to do to demonstrate love to our neighbors. And here's the deal. That, oftentimes, is like the first taste of the kingdom that many people have. Why would you do this? Like, why would you do this for me? Like, what's this going to cost me? Right? That's that's always when someone wants to give you a gift, there's always a suspicion when the dude knocks on your door. I'm not going to charge you any money today. No, it's going to be tomorrow. I know. Right? We always feel like there's a transaction. We've been programmed. But our love for one another, when we just freely give in this way, it can do things to people's hearts to say, you know what, maybe there is a God. Because there's no other reason on this planet that these people would do something like this. They're not gaining or benefiting from this at all. Our love for one another stokes the fires of curiosity because it's unlike the world around us. And really, uh, John the Apostle said that's how it would be, that they would know we were Christians by our love and that that thing. Right? Paul goes on to say that that would compel us. But not only that, it compels other people. How many times have you seen that whole trick where somebody will go into like New York and they'll just be staring up at a skyscraper? And then before long, they've got a crowd of people gathered around them staring at something and this person just decided to stare at. right. They're just jacking with them. Have you ever seen people do that before? We used to do it all the time as kids. It was fun. We'd go in the grocery store and we'd just look at something. And then eventually you'd have three people around you trying to see what it was you were looking at. But imagine that in the context of God if we are all staring like at Jesus and our eyes are on Him and we're doing all the stuff that He says to do loving people the way that He's called us to love them it's not going to be long before people are like what are you looking at? Oh and when they see Him then then it's on and there's no unity out there in that world and it's something that people crave So that's the first thing. That's like the baby step, right? Then you have baptism that we're going to do. Baptism is this public display of our commitment to the Messiah. It's this outer symbol of this inner transformation that's going on in our hearts. It's like, you know what? God's doing so much good work here that I want to share it with you. And um, so I'm going to show you something that's kind of weird if you think about it, really. But at the same time, this is a great symbol of what happens, right? Because... The old man or woman goes under, and a new man or woman emerges from the water. It goes all the way back to Judaism. It's a great symbol. It's beautiful. It's this death of our old ways and sin, and this resurrection as a part of this multi-ethnic family of believers united in Jesus. And really, these folks, whoever they are, because it might be you today. You might not even know you're getting baptized. It's happened. This marks a moment in time where they can look back and say, you know what, my journey started March 19th, 2017. And I remember I came out of the water and everybody was yelling and screaming and it kind of scared me at first, but it was awesome. And then, folks, we get to assist in that lifetime of transformation. I mean, they may not be here as a part of this community forever, but we're a chapter in the story at least. You've never been baptized. Even if you didn't come ready to do that today, today can be your day. We have extra towels. And it's warm. It's not really any excuses. And then, number three, of course, in stating our elders, men chosen by this community as leaders in our Messiah's name. Men taking responsibility for the spiritual well-being of God's people with a commitment to set an example in love and provide everything that they can to help Us, the people that call this place home along the path to becoming mature in this unified community. Here's the deal with all those guys between you and me. Each of their stories began just like mine and just like yours outside the fellowship of God. Each of their stories had a moment of decision where they chose to follow Jesus. Each one of their stories involved baptism into this unified community. At least I think so, and if not, we can fix that today. And every subsequent day that these men have chosen to lay down their desires to follow Jesus led to this moment when they, and John and myself, have become servants to you. None of these things, the ability to bless others, any of these things, taking our responsibility has to do with the worthiness of the individuals involved. Trust me, I know myself well. I'm not worthy. Or anything that we could do on our own. But here's the thing, it doesn't just apply to our elders either. It's like every leader here, every person that steps up to lead something. Let's look at that verse again. I want to point out verse 7 to you. Each one of us, however, has been given grace to be measured by the Messiah's bounty. All of these things, this whole life cycle that I just talked about, from this first encounter with God, to being baptized, to becoming a mature member of a church that would lead something. All of these things are testimony to the grace of God and the greatness of one. And the same power that resurrected him from the dead is at work in our lives. Paul goes on to talk about that. Think about that for just a second. The same power that resurrected our Messiah from the dead is at work in our lives To bring about these things. To bring about these changes. So today is a celebration. Today is a party. You don't sound excited. That's right. Today is one of those rare moments in our walk, folks. Where we can clearly see the full spectrum of what God can do in a life. There's one child that I know of for sure that's being baptized today. And that excites me because I know many of your stories and I know that that's where they began as a child being baptized. From the first moment we realize that there's a God who loves us, though we didn't deserve it, to our public declaration and baptism, to the moment when we are activated on the team to love and serve others in ministry. We get to see the whole spectrum today. So here's our challenge and I'm done today and every day that God gives us. Here's our challenge, church. May our response be worship. May the greatness that we have, this gratefulness that we have, be so profound that it would change how we live. If you live every day grateful, thankful, that changes everything. That these moments like this, wouldn't just pass us by, that, but that we would bring the weight and the meaning to them that they deserve. It's part of why we in State Adulters today. It's important. If you're going to pour out your hearts to guys, you got to know who they are, right? That these moments would compel us to give God the glory he deserves in every aspect of our lives. That we would share that love And that we would humbly serve others, whether they're part of this community or they're outside of this community. And that we would dedicate our lives, every part of them, to following the only one, our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. Would you guys bow your hearts with me? God, we love you. And I know that that's how I start every prayer. (laughs) But Father, it's by choice because it's the truth. And I will never have enough words to express how grateful I am for what you've done for me. Even if just existing on this planet, God, was the only thing that you'd ever given me, it would be enough. But yet, you've lavished your love upon us. You gave up your son so that you could have us all. You loved us, God, before we loved you. So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't be trapped in negative ways of thinking. That we wouldn't uh, be burdened by some perception of worth that we feel like we need to prove to you. But God, I pray that we would claim that grace that Jesus has offered us and that we would do our best to chase after him. God, I pray for every person in this room, everyone that can hear my voice, no matter where they are on their path with you. As we walk out into this world, God, I pray that you would reveal the truth of who you are, the reality of who you are, that that everywhere we look, we would see things to be thankful and grateful for. And that we would acknowledge the one that made those things possible. So we offer our lives to you today, God. Use them as you will. May you be glorified. All these things in your name. Amen.